0: In 2077, the storm of World War had come again. In two brief hours, most of the planet was reduced to cinders. And from the ashes of nuclear devastation, a new civilization would struggle to arise. Fallout 1 is one of those classic games that came out during a time in PC gaming where we were making strides, and I say we as if I'm part of the industry, but we as the gaming industry and the gaming community were making strides forward. It was the late 90s, and we had the technology of the day, which was now complex enough, smart enough, fast enough to... Render games in a more realistic fashion than we than we pre- previously had. Um, PCs at the time were pushing things like 600 megahertz, <laughs> and and we're actually starting to um, use things like uh, graphics cards in order to drive uh, processing and make things look a little bit more three dimensional. Sometimes, not always the case, but some of the time. And we had memory capabilities and hard drives that were able to store more information. And with those advances came games like Fallout, a post-nuclear role-playing game from Interplay. And in setting up this show, I realized that there are a lot of people who either were too young at the time or missed the opportunity to play this when it was new. I'm one of them. And so I, I understand that perspective. I understand the perspective of, Hey, I've gotten into the, like the more recent fallout games. I really love this universe. It would be really cool to go back and try out some of the early games and see what they were like, but it just isn't the same to go home. Sometimes sometimes these games are a little bit too stuck in their time and place and they feel plotting or difficult to use to our modern sensibilities of of just the display that we're looking at the pixel sizes or even the interface that we're used to using or the pace of the games feel a little bit slow so one of the things that i've been planning to do for a long time uh months ago when i started this show was to do a recap of the major events and the major themes and a lot of these things come up in in the episodes that I've already gone over. So if you are wanting to play through the very first Fallout game without any, I guess we'll say story spoilers, and I'm sure I've dropped some of these before, then now's the right time to bail out on this episode. But if you're interested in finding out the main events, we're not going to go too far into any one particular topic because that's what individual episodes are for. But if you're okay with going through, hey, this is where the story starts. This is where it goes. This is generally how it ends. um, Then stick around. We're going to give you a, a nice overview of the very first game. Now, with a lot of these games and a lot of things in general, in the way that we perceive information, when we don't know something, oftentimes we project on it Uh, an era of mystery, and it appears bigger or larger, or there's more potential than when you actually dive into the thing. So the story is actually fairly simple. But before we get into that, we're going to discuss a little bit about um, what is noted in the wikis about the game itself. And the full title, as I mentioned before, was Fallout, a Post-Nuclear Role-Playing Game. It didn't say Fallout 1. It wasn't just Fallout. It was a post-nuclear role-playing game. And you can tell that they were clearly looking for the audience that was familiar with things like Dungeons & Dragons. This is, role-playing, this is a role-playing game, but post-nuclear. So they've got you know very clear explanation of what this is. In the SEO world, this would be... This would be great because it hits all the keywords (laughs) for for search. And the SEO world was very new at the time, but they knew exactly how to label this. And it says here, as referred to simply as Fallout, developed by Interplay and its division Dragonplay and self-published on September 30th, 1997, is the first game in the Fallout series. The game was initially intended to use Steve Jackson's game's GURPS system, but when Interplay made the decision to drop GURPS on February 12, 1997, it created its own system, Special. And that became what we are all familiar with today, S-P-E-C-I-A-L, uh, Strength, Perception, Endurance, Charisma, Intelligence, Agility, Luck. Fallout is seen as the spiritual successor to Interplay's classic 1987 CRPG Wasteland. The designers proposed many titles, but they agreed on titling it Armageddon. However, they found out that another Interplay project was going to use that title, so they were obligated to switch again. And Fallout was the team's favorite among the remainder. Can you imagine if this game had been titled Armageddon? I don't know. It just wouldn't feel the same. Something about the Fallout name is... I mean, it's burned into our brains at this point. But Armageddon doesn't feel right. Fallout feels right. It's almost a happy accident, I guess. So, the game featured a lot of the core things that we are familiar with in the series, even if you jumped in more recently. The special system, the uh, skills having different skills like combat skills for small guns, big guns, energy weapons, things like that. Um, active skills like first aid, doctor, sneak, lockpick, uh, steel, traps, science, and repair. And then there's four passive skills in the original, speech, barter, gambling, and outdoorsman. And then even in this game, there are books that you can find in the wasteland that permanently upgrade your skills. Um, there's also, uh, lock picking and lock picks. There's chems. Um, there's a lot of the same concept stuff was already in it from the beginning. And a lot of that stuff just kind of carries through into the other games and it evolves a little bit, but Fallout one did such a good job creating this template of just basic fundamental things to use that, the later games didn't have to deviate from that. that 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 is still the core system of the way the games works the way the games works the way the game singular works the way the games work plural Anyway, it's hard to talk about multiple games all in the same series because sometimes your brain considers it one thing and sometimes your brain (laughs) considers it two things. Anyway, uh, then there were also traits and perks. Um, Same kind of stuff. Traits are specific character backgrounds. Most traits have profound effects on gameplay. A trait normally contains one beneficial effect and one detrimental effect. So they're not all positive. Um, Again, very, very familiar. Once a trait is chosen, it's impossible to change except through the mutate perk uh, that lets them change one trait one time. Some other key details that show up in the first Fallout game that are used in all the games after this are things like the uh, Pip-Boy 2000. It's the 2000 variation. And in later games the 3000 shows up. And there are recruitable non-player characters including dog meat. Um, And then there are some other humans. Uh, Ian, who is a former caravan guard, uh, is found in the main settlement, Shady Sands. Uh, Tycho is a former desert ranger living in Junktown. And Katja is a disillusioned follower of the apocalypse, which may be recruited in the library in the L.A. Boneyard. And that's the extent of the total amount of non Play characters you can recruit to go with you. In this one, you don't befriend any super mutants or any robots. It's basically humans and dog meat. And of course, you could choose dog meat, right? And dog meat's the one to go with all the time. So let's dive into the story a little bit. In the uh, Fallout.fandom.com wiki, it sums it up like this It says the player initially has 150 days. Four to five months, according to the overseer, before the vault's water supply runs out. And you're going to remember this from our episode on Vault 13. We went over this. The Vault 13 was designed and built, and the water shipment of Vault Chips went to a different vault, if you remember that. Uh, this time limit can be extended by a hundred days if they commission merchants in the hub, that's one of the locations, to send water caravans to Vault 13. So you can there's a drawback in this, but initially you can extend the time limit to fix the water supply chip by an extra hundred days. Upon returning the chip, the vault dweller is then tasked with destroying a mutant army that threatens humanity. So, you know, it's the classic old story of, hey, go fix the water chip so that we, you know, can survive in our vault still. Oh, by the way, there's an evil bad guy that wants to destroy the world. So, you know, it's just a regular story. Uh, A mutant known as the master, previously known as Richard Gray has begun using a pre-war genetically engineered virus. And you're going to remember this. You're going to recognize this from other episodes called the forced evolutionary virus, FEV to convert humanity into a race of super mutants and bring them together in the unity, his plan for a perfect world. The player has to kill him and destroy the military base, housing the supply of FEV, thus halting the invasion before it can begin. Now, One of the other things this game does that a lot of other games do and and did at the time, too, is it gives you the ability to play out the choices and decisions in whatever way you want. So there are multiple endings, there are multiple variables, there are multiple ways that things can play out, but there's a generally considered um, main plot line of the story and how it typically ends and how it continues through to the next game. If both objectives are not completed within 500 game days, the mutant army will discover Vault 13 and invade it, bringing an end to the game. This time limit is shortened to 400 days if Vault 13's location is diverged to the water merchant. So you get an initial 100 days to fix the water chip if you give them the location, but you have 100 days less total to stop the mutants. A cinematic cutscene of mutants overrunning the vault is shown if the task to stop the mutant army is failed within this time frame, indicating the player has lost. If the player agrees to join the mutant army, the same cinematic is shown. And this is something that was very common with these old RPGs. Like, you could totally play through a game, make a choice, or take too long doing something, and then get like a hard, bad ending. Just like, boom, sorry, game's done, you messed up, go back. And it's not always clear how far back you have to go. I mean, you could go back to a previous save file, but sometimes it's just one decision will do it. Sometimes it's something you did hours and hours and hours ago, like reducing the days by 100 by divulging the location of the vault. And you're like, OK, well, do I start a new game or do I go back back? 20 hours in the gameplay back to the time when I was talking with the water merchants, you know, like how do I, how do I even manage this? So these games were a little bit more hardcore back, back in the day. So the player can defeat the master and destroy the super mutants military base in either order. You can do the military base and then the master and the master, then the military base. When both threats are eliminated, a cutscene ensues in which the player automatically returns to vault 13. And this is the, This is the ending. This is the good ending (laughs) there. They are told that they have done great things for the vault and all of humanity, but if they came back, everyone would want to leave the vault and that the vault dweller must leave for the good of the vault. So you save the world, you save the vault, you save the world, and then the overseer decides, Nope, you can't come back. That's your, that's your reward. Thus, they are rewarded with exile into the desert for, in the overseer's eyes, the good of the vault. There is an alternate non-canonical ending available if the player has the bloody mess trait, has accrued significant negative karma throughout the game, and performs the action manually, in which the vault dweller shoots the overseer. So still, the game gave you the option. You could still do things like that back, back in the day. In the newer Fallouts, if you try to f- have combat with like a character that is too important, they go down, but then they get back up. They're just indestructible. The plot of Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 mirrors Fallout PNRPG. And this is really interesting because this is something I wouldn't have realized unless I started looking into this stuff. But th- the newer Fallouts stay very true to the franchise in that they actually mirror the main, uh, main events of the plot line. Um, and here it says they have someone leaving the vault encountering a small town before reaching the large settlement. After this, the player solves their initial goal only to be greeted by a larger problem. And that's exactly what happens in both of those stories and aided by a BOS, like Entry, Brotherhood of Steel, like Entity, Entry, Entity, (laughs) where they can either side with or destroy the new problem. So all of that stuff is common in the other games, at least in Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. Now, let's talk about different locations that show up in this game. And I think you're going to be surprised there's not as many as you would think about, like, oh, this giant RPG from the past. Really, it's fairly fairly simple. You have Vault 13, where you come from. You have Vault 15, which we discussed before. That's the one with the different ideologies, where basically all the raider groups came from and the people of Shady Sands. Then you have Shady Sands, which is the small village just outside of Vault 13. It's kind of in between Vault 13 and Vault 15. And that's where you meet uh, Ian and recruit him. That's where you meet Tandy, where, who is the daughter of the leader of Shady Sands and becomes very important in Fallout 2 as well. Um, then you have the Khan's Raider Camp, which you can go visit. You have Junktown, which is surrounded by piles of wrecked cars. And it's run by Killian Darkwater, who is also the sheriff and grandson of the town's founder. Jungtown's gates are closed in the night and drawing weapons is not allowed except in self-defense. Gizmo, the town's casino owner, wants Killian dead because he cramps my business. The player can choose to either help Killian or Gizmo and the vault dweller can also recruit Tycho at this location. Uh, and dog meat shows up here. Then there's the hub. The hub is a major commercial town. The hub is the most quest-filled location in the game. It is divided in several districts, each one controlled by a powerful group of people, which kind of sounds similar to something like uh, New Vegas. Um, There's the water merchants, the Crimson Caravan, and the Fargo Traders. Here, the Vault Dweller can send water merchants to Vault 13 and extend the time. Um, The hub's approximate location corresponds to Lancaster in California, and that's another Point to bring up a lot of these locations are actually based around what are potentially real world locations over on the west coast and the southwest us and the scope of this game is actually multiple states large in the other games you have something like um the wasteland around washington dc which is a little bit larger than the size of a city and in actuality it's less than the size of the city but it It is built to represent an area that includes a city and and the city outside of it. Um, Same thing on Fallout 4. You have an area that really is only a few miles large in real life, but is representative of a much larger area. But even then, you're still just talking the scale of cities and not the scale of like U.S. states. Then there's the necropolis, the remains of what was once bakersfield overrun by ghouls and containing a vast sewer system necropolis is the aftermath of vault 12 which we talked about before also Uh, if you if you recall vault 12 was designed by the enclave so that its door could not close that's why everybody became uh, ghouls due to the high doses of radiation and uh, the ghouls were divided into three groups in necropolis the surface dwellers who are the most numerous And paranoid about non-ghouls and outsiders, the glowing ones, glowing ones show up in this game, heavily irradiated ghouls rejected even by their own and the so-called underground ghouls living in the city's sewers. It is here that the vault dweller finds the water chip while observing an unusual super mutant invasion, which may be a serious threat to humanity's future. So this is where that stuff comes up. Then there's the Boneyard. The Boneyard, also known as the Angel's Boneyard, is the remaining portion of Los Angeles. This is one of the later towns that the Fall Dweller may visit, uh, receiving upgrades for endgame equipment, including, including things like the uh, turbo plasma rifle and hardened power armor. Um, you can also find Katja here, which I mentioned earlier. Then there is uh, the Lost Hills Bunker. It's the headquarters of the Brotherhood of Steel in Fallout 1, an organization with roots in the U.S. military. And you guys knew who the Brotherhood is. Um, uh, Level zero is the on-ground entrance and everything else goes underground. Then there's a place called The Glow, which is mentioned in... Other, I believe it's mentioned in New Vegas also. Formerly known as the West Tech Research Facility, the GLOW is now in irradiated ruin. It is here that experiments were conducted on laser and plasma weapons, and the development of the FEV and power armor took place. So this is the remains of the West Tech facility where a lot of that stuff originally came from it's not the only west tech facility as we know because west tech facilities show up in other games but this is one of the key original places that those specific developments were being done and we've talked about that on previous episodes as well Um, and the glow is controlled by a mainframe uh, called Zax. It is the vault dweller's objective to retrieve a piece of evidence for the Brotherhood of Steel, which is a hollow disc left by a fallen, fallen Brotherhood of Steel member that proves he entered the location. The difficulty in this assignment is that the glow is highly radioactive and the player must consume anti radiation drugs to survive the visit. So, again, same kinds of stuff that shows up in the other games. You can go into a radioactive area as long as you have the drugs or the treatment or the armor the equipment to handle it. A player unaware of this zone's high radiation levels would find themselves quickly succumbing to radiation poisoning. And then we have the Mariposa military base, which comes up fairly regularly. The former military base where research was conducted on the FEV. Um, This is where the super mutants at least in this story and in this part of the world are created. This is where the Brotherhood discovered um, the terrible, terrible events. This is where Maxon came from when we talked about the story about Maxon and how he was positioned at this military base in order to basically guard it. He was the part of the group that was um, in charge of just guarding the base. And then they, of course, came to learn that terrible things were being done. Super mutants were being created and they thus the origin of the Brotherhood of the Steel. Uh, Brotherhood of the Steel. That's a different way to say that. Um, If you are more interested in some of that information, go back and listen to the Brotherhood of Steel episode and you can learn more about that. Then the final location is the cathedral. This is where the children of the cathedral organized. It's a facade for the master's plans and and beneath it is a secret vault where the master resides And that's it. Those are all the places you can go and visit, all the major places you can visit in the game. And you can see how the summary really makes sense when there's only that many places to visit. Basically, you leave the vault, you go looking for water chip, come across shady sands, head out from there, visit some other locations, find a water chip, bring it back, but also realize that, hey, there's these super mutants that are attacking this ghoul town. And then you are tasked with figuring out how to handle the ghouls. You visit some other locations, you level up, you get some better gear, and then you discover the cathedral. You discover the military base and you put an end to the master's plans and destroy the super mutants. And that's the good canon ending of the game. When you get back, sorry, you can't join the vault. You can't come back in. Thanks for all your help. Go live somewhere else. And you become a, I guess a legend in the wasteland and it sets the stage for fallout 2, which we'll have to go over in a future episode. Now there's some other interesting information about fallout one, and I've talked about some of this stuff in other episodes as well. The developer team had nearly a hundred members, although most of the team dissolved after fallout was released and one third of them formed Interplay's black Isle division that was responsible for fallout 2. Some went to work on future projects, and several key players left Interplay altogether to form Tro- Troika Games. Oh, man, I'm stumbling over words today. Sorry about that, guys. So, the uh, also interesting stuff, the game soundtrack for Fallout was composed by Mark Morgan. Mark Morgan was also the guy responsible for the Fallout 2 soundtrack, and... Similar pedigree later on, he went and did the Planescape Torment soundtrack and then was brought back for Wasteland 2 when they rebooted that back in uh, 2012, which I, I have. I haven't played through it. I need to play through those games. Now, also, as I've mentioned before, this game was originally... Um, created by Timothy Kane, the uh, original programmer of the this, this series. And over time, he was able to convince... This was like a side project of his that he was working on at home and eventually convinced six other uh, programmers to get together and start... Working on this game in their spare time, and eventually they made enough progress. It took it took like a year or two, if I recall, um, for the larger company to pick it up and really green light the game as an actual release. So we can be very very thankful to Timothy Kane for his his vision and his perseverance at getting this game out, or we wouldn't have this game or any of the other games in the series for us to enjoy. So thank you very much, Mister Kane. You did us all a wonderful. Wonderful thing by creating such a, a really cool idea of a world and, and fleshing it out. Now, there's more information about this early vision in a documentary that came out um, back in 2019, I think, at the Game Developers Conference. So there's places you can look that up if you look up um, Fallout 1 documentary. I'm sure you can find it on the Googles. And that's about it. Um, there's definitely some other information in the wikis. If you want to look around that things about like potential film adaptations, which I've mentioned before, I think one of the really fun places to look is at the galleries of some of the imagery. The game was not very well marketed at the beginning. They just kind of put it out there and people found it and it gained a fan base. I mean, that was about it, but some of the, Oh man, the artwork and the stuff, it looks really nineties, especially (laughs) there, there's a, um, There's a uh, what looks like a poster-sized ad that says, Will your character stand up to the post-nuclear test? If you've got the character to adapt and survive in a devastated post-nuclear world, play Fallout, the new breed of RPG available now on PC CD-ROM. And it just says Fallout. No subtitle, nothing. And it's got some crazy-looking mutants and... I guess that's your dude in the front from Vault 13, etched on his head, which doesn't make any sense, with like a bandage and some metal armor. This is one of the most 90s things I've seen in a long time. So go check that stuff out. I'm sure you can uh, dig that up if you do a little bit of Googling. Um, Otherwise, if I remember to, I will post some of that stuff uh, on the Twitter and get that out for you guys to check out. Hello there, old chat. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. Why don't we ask the newcomer? You support the news? So thank you all again for tuning in. I am Tom, or Robots, your host. And sorry about the missing out on an official episode last week. Uh, Some things came up, which I had mentioned a little bit on social media and in the Discord. Um, but I just needed to take some time off in order to take care of some real world stuff. But I'm back and back with an episode I've been looking forward to doing for a long time. I was toying with the idea of digging into the mole miners because of the new updates in Fallout 76 where you can actually trade in your legendaries and get, um, oh, what are they called? You get the special money that you can trade to the mole miner lady and try to find some other legendary items. And somebody had actually posted, hey, let's let's get some mole miner lore, but there's really not a whole lot out there yet. I dug into it and from what I can find we have very little and most of it is only in the game and even just like one of the game screens. So maybe we'll wait a little bit more to get some more content before we bring that in as a a full episode. Um, But Yeah, I'm always open to ideas for things that we can bring up in the show and that I can dig into. So feel free to write me on the Twitter at Fallout Lorecast or on uh, in an email at FalloutLorecast at gmail.com or, you know, join the discord, the links in the show notes and go check that out. Um, If you are interested in helping to promote the show, if you if you're really loving what's going on and you want to help promote this, please, please, please tell a friend. If you have somebody else who enjoys these games or just wants something really cool to listen to as a podcast, uh, let them know about the Fallout Lorecast, and I would highly, highly appreciate that. Um, Another place that you can help promote the show is by reviewing on iTunes, which we're going to get to at the end of the episode, where we're going to read out some of the new reviews that came in, and... Also on the Patreon, if you want to financially support the show, and we have two new patrons to to mention over the last two weeks, since it's been two weeks since I've done this. We have Nicole J. and Lana C. Thank you so much. Uh, Nicole J. is a Tier 3 patron. Super cool. And Lana C. is a Tier 2 patron. So Tier 2 patrons, all patrons get access to even $1 a month. gets you a Tier 1 patron. And you can get access to the Discord uh patron only chat. And if you have, if you are a patron, you haven't jumped in there yet. Jump in, let me know who you are and I can, I can easily set you up. Um, if you subscribe at any level, you are now getting these episodes running on their own RSS feed through Patreon where you can listen to them without any advertisements. So if you want an ad free experience, for as little as $1 a month, that's something that you can sign up for. And that's, I mean, that's like 25 cents an episode or less if I do more episodes than four a month. So yeah, super good deal. Uh, at the tier two, um, like Lana C you get to oh crap What just fell out of my brain again. You get to, I'm going to open up the page so I make sure I read this correctly, uh, become a Mr. Handy. Oh yeah. Level one. You're an iBot. Level two, you're Mr. Handy and um, you get a call out on the show. So that's the the bonus for being a, a level two and then a level three patron like uh, Nicole J means that you get to shoot me a note about a very specific suggestion or a question that you have, something that you would like addressed on the show. And if it's something that can be answered quickly, then I'll answer it during this section of the show and kind of bring it up and discuss it. If it's, Something that could lead to a whole episode then maybe we'll do that at some point and I'm just always in for your info and the things that you want to say but the things that the patrons send out there I will take as being a even more important topic to eventually address and if i can't do it on the show for some for whatever reason then you and i will have a discussion about it and we'll kind of nerd out about whatever you're talking about and i'll do a little bit of research and we'll we'll see what we can find out so that's what you guys get for at least the first 3 levels of the patreon patreon and and this is super crazy news too on the elder scrolls lorecast the sister show to this show um we got our first level 4 patron which is crazy i didn't expect anybody to subscribe at that level But now that we have our first level four patron, I am going to be setting up a monthly voice chat uh, through the discord with people who are level four or higher. And that's going to be, I think right now I'm thinking it's going to be the like the fourth Monday of the month so that if you sign up earlier in the month, you can still get to do it. And it'll be a once a month thing where we can go hang out. Uh, we can all get in the room and chat. Uh, to begin with, it's just going to be me and this other person. But anybody else who either upgrades to a level four or signs up for a level four or higher uh, will get to hang out with us and we can discuss topics from the games. We can, you know, we can discuss whatever you guys want. Really, I mean, it's it's open to you, and you have my attention for a fun, you know, time to chat and kind of go over whatever's on your minds. So. That's also available. There's other stuff on the Patreon, patreon.com slash falloutlorecast if you want to go check that out. And let's see, anything else going on? Um, we're still doing some hangouts on Sundays. Uh, Chimich- Chimichanga Kinsey's setting those up. I've missed the, <laughs> the most recent two. I'm so bad at being able to set up time to do that because my weekends get busy with other things. But yeah. Um, If if at all possible, I'll jump in there and hang out with you guys as well on PC. There are Xbox Hangouts happening on Saturdays. All of this information can be found in the Discord or on Twitter when we tweet out this stuff. So if you want to be more involved, jump in there and make sure that you are seeing what's going on. And I guess last to bring up are the reviews for this week. And thank you to two more five-star reviews. Uh, let's go through this. We have Kate Wicks from the United States who writes helpful and inspiring. A few weeks ago, my best friend who is deeply into podcast found fallout Orcast and sent it to me. Awesome. I've always appreciated podcasts, but have struggled to get invested into more than a few. However, I recently drove from Minneapolis to visit my brother in North Dakota. Wait, does, is North Dakota a real place? Is that, I thought that was just Canada. Um, Akeed, Akeed, and burned through every episode of this podcast. Holy crap. Tom Robots with zeros has a beautiful, fun, and articulate way of delivering the lore to people who want to know more about the Fallout universe. As I stumble over my words, it doesn't matter if you're new to the game or a Fallout veteran like myself who wants to know as much as possible. Tom's got you covered. As a budding Fallout content creator, I've found this podcast both inspirational and an amazing reference tool. I can't wait to call myself a longtime listener. Keep doing what you're doing, Tom. It means the world to the Fallout community. Cherry LaRuckus with a little cherry symbol at the end. Thank you so much, Cherry or Kate or whichever name you prefer. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's really nice of you to write a nice, big, long um, message like that. And I'm glad you were able to binge through all the episodes and I hope you enjoy all the new episodes going forward. That's super cool. Then we have young Farmy, farm with two E's at the end from the U.S. who writes, helping me through my long days. Five stars. Love this podcast, man. Around this time of year. Every year, I, s- I spend about 12 hours a day, six days a week on a tractor, and all of your content really helps me get through my days. Thanks, man. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you for working so hard because that's a lot of hard work uh, and a lot of time to be sitting on a tractor, but I'm glad I can make that at least a little bit more uh, easy for you to do <laughs> by giving you something to listen to. That's super cool. Um, also at the end of the show, I just want to mention out, mention out, mention things about the robots radio, uh, network. We are expanding and guys, I've got some exciting news pretty soon that I get to announce. We have two new shows that are going to be on the network. Both of them are going to be really cool. I think you're going to, you're going to dig them. And one other show that is most likely going to be on the network, which I can't say anything about yet, but is very, very specifically uh, for this audience. And I think you guys are going to love it. So, um, yeah, like a diamond in the rough, like it just it just kind of, you know, found a good connection and found this thing. And this person reached out to me and I was like, holy crap, this is awesome. So I can tell you more about that in the future. If you are interested in other high quality video gaming and nerd qu- culture type shows robots radio is the place to go look for that go to robotsradio.net you can check out a whole list of all the shows that we have on here if you aren't already listening to duke at out of the vault um his show goes over a lot of the stuff going on in game in fallout 76 and all the new advances and the things that they're doing to really keep that game improving over time and yeah it had a rough launch but it just keeps getting better so go go give that a try if you want to hear what's going on with that stuff Um, And if you're interested in, in more Elder Scrolls stuff, of course, there's my other shows, Elder Scrolls Lorecast. There's the Written Uncertainty show, which dives very, very deeply into the lore. We've got Hidden Pixels, which talks about games like fallout and some other games and goes over some fun stories from inside the games and then you've got my other shows like helping you get to sleep at night like sleepy time stories where i talk like this really slowly and uh robots thoughts if you want to hear more about my thoughts about video games and all sorts of other stuff so go check those out RobotsRadio.net. and until next time thank you all for going on this journey with me and it's really cool to get back to fallout one and discuss the main highlights with you guys. If you have any questions about fallout one or want to dig into more of that stuff, I'd love to love for you to shoot me a note and let's, let's chat sometime. All right guys, have a good week and I will talk to you next week. See you later. Thanks for listening to the fallout Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda softworks and no copyright infringement is intended.